Our first reading this morning comes from the uh, book of Psalms, right at the beginning, Psalm number one. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. If you could turn with me again to the wonderful book of Mark. We're doing a series in Mark. And this morning we're up to Mark chapter 2 and verse 13, and I'll be reading through to verse 17. So that's Mark chapter 2 and starting at verse 13. Let's hear from God's word. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Well, friends, as we take a closer look at God's word, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your wonderful call, your wonderful word. We thank you too for your Holy Spirit who helps us to understand and interpret it and to set it deep in our lives. And so we pray that you would do that wonderful, miraculous work in us now as we take a closer look at your wonderful word. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name and for his glory. Well, every Sunday as you walk through the gates on your way into this building, if you look right, you'll see our church sign and written on it, apart from all the standard details, is a declaration that says a dynamic community determined to grow like Christ impacting our neighbourhood for him. Now that sentence sets the bar pretty high, doesn't it? Dynamic, determined, impacting. So how are we going at living up to this vision? Well, how about this for starters? We're a Presbyterian church and, in the, and yet in the last little while we've moved the lectern. We've shortened the music stall and most impressive of all, we've switched from pews to chairs. And that's all before you walk through this door here. New hall, new kitchen and there's even a balcony. Not bad for a denomination that isn't exactly known for its innovation, right? 
Is Alverston Presbyterian living up to its high calling? Are we dynamic? You bet we are. Friends, before we get too excited, although I wasn't there when it was discussed how we as a church embrace and live out the big D word, I'm pretty sure, pretty confident, new seating and furnishings, etc., etc., wasn't exactly what they had in mind. Yes, it's great. Indeed, 100% necessary to care for and invest in the building we meet in week in, week out. But these changes are not what makes a church community dynamic, even if your denomination does start with P and end with N. No, friends, for us to be that, truly that, we need to sit at the feet and learn from the one who turned every idea about religion and worship and how it's all done completely on its head. To truly be dynamic... We must go straight to the one who is the personification of that word. So let's do that now. Verse 13 of chapter 2. Have another look at it. Mark writes, Once again Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, friends, let's pause things right there for a moment because there's a couple of things we need to square away before we continue on. The first is, notice this guy, Levi, is sitting down in front of Jesus rather than on his feet behind him. In other words, this bloke is clearly not part of the excited throng who went out to the lake to see and hear from Jesus that day. Now, as all the streets empty, Levi stayed behind. Because, you see, Levi had more important things to do that day. For Levi was a tax collector. Now, friends, if you happened upon someone with a similar vocation today, I wonder what your gut reaction to them would be. Now, it's certainly possible you may feel a level of resentment for someone who does that today. But if that's there, it's almost certainly in the background. Much more li- a much more likely reaction, well, for me anyway, would be, really, that's your job? Poor you. Now, where's the stimulation? Where's the work satisfaction in a job like that? But, friends, poor you is the very last response you would get back in the first century. Sympathy out the window. If it was discovered, collecting shekels for the state was your line of work. No, friends, if you chose that, you are also choosing to be hated and despised by your countrymen pretty much across every level of society. So why such a strong reaction, such a severe negative reaction like that? Well, for starters, Levi and those like him were collecting on behalf of Rome. And if the offence of that is not quite registering for you yet, take your mind back to World War II 
and imagine Japan's invasion of Australia was successful. Our flag dragged down and the red sun hoisted up. Australians all let us rejoice, for we are one and free, now just a distant memory. Okay, now you've got that. Imagine if a member of your family then put up their hand to help these invaders collect revenue, collect it from you to fuel their ongoing occupation. How do you reckon that would go down at the dinner table? Friends, we're just getting started because we're not talking some office job in a building off somewhere in in the city. No, we're talking accosting people on the street, demanding they open up their bags and wallets that Levi might take a portion for Rome and then a nice big fat portion for himself as well. Now, how could he do that without getting beaten to a pulp? Well, have a look at the bulletin in front of you and you have your answer. So now we have a first century mindset on Levi and his vocation back to the story. Word gets out, Jesus is down by the lake. So everyone rushes off to see Israel's saviour from oppression. Not Levi though. No, he stays behind to fleece Israel for their oppressors. And it looks like it's going to be a nice big payday for him. Because having preached his sermon, Jesus now leaves the lake, doesn't he? And heads for town. He rounds the corner and straight for Levi's booth. Their eyes meet and Jesus stops. And friends, if you're now part of that crowd following along, you're now thinking, oh man, this is going to be good. For the master of the turn of phrase the one who has just the right home truth for every occasion, has made a beeline for the biggest turncoat in town to drop a truth bomb or two directly on him. This is going to be epic. So what does Jesus have for this money-grabbing traitor? Well, the Son of God calls him out all right just not in the way anyone expects. Two words. Follow me. And Levi immediately obeys and falls in behind Jesus. And friends, in this moment, as this all takes place, it's hard to know, isn't it, what's more shocking, Jesus' invitation or Levi's response? Because if you're in that crowd, both would have left you absolutely gobsmacked. As such, both, that is Jesus' invitation and Levi's response, need to be understood. Understood if we are going to grasp and be part of the dynamic impact that Jesus brings into this world. So let's start with Levi's response. Because Jesus' invitation, the who, what, why and how of it, is addressed by Jesus a little later on when Levi throws a shindig for him that night. So first to Levi's response and to the question, 
How with just two words was this man willing to leave it all behind? Because you can be sure, Levi has heard it all before. Urged countless times to walk away from his despicable occupation and return to God and family. But with now just two words from Jesus, Levi is done. Was this just good timing here? Had Levi over the years also slowly come to hate himself for what he was doing? And it all just happened to come to a head for him that morning? And so Jesus' invitation was, you know, like the last straw that broke the camel's back. Was that what was going on for Levi that morning? Or as Jesus approached with that big crowd, was Levi, you know, rubbing his hands together, thinking, happy days, roll up, roll up, who's first? What exactly was Levi's mindset before Jesus said those two words to him? Friends, who knows? Because the text doesn't even give us a hint, does it? And friends, that's no accident because Mark doesn't want us to be distracted from the clear and obvious takeaway no matter where Levi's head was that day. And friends, that clear and obvious takeaway is this. Jesus takes the crowd to the man who was known far and wide for his ruthless, single-minded pursuit of wealth. Gold and silver was clearly God and God, God of gods and Lord of lords for Levi. For he had forsaken family, friends, religion and country to get it. Levi worshipped money. Everybody knew it. Before they came upon his stall that morning, the entire crowd would have agreed hell would freeze over before Levi gave away a dime, let let, let alone give it all away. And yet there he is doing just that and with a smile. Is this for real? How? Friends, there can be only one answer to this. When the Son of God looked at Levi and Levi at him, Levi beheld true wealth, true riches. And so his shiny lesser God dissolved away like water on a hot tin roof. In that moment, Levi saw having Jesus, knowing Jesus, Being with Jesus was how that burning, yearning hole inside, which constantly screams more, 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 was finally and fully and truly satisfied. Having beheld Jesus, it was like Levi then looked at all his vast wealth and suddenly saw it as monopoly money. And having seen that, All he now needs is an invitation. And friends, just a nod would have been enough. And so Mark gives us that moment. 
the moment where Levi, the tax collector, cashes it all in for the pearl of great price. Friends, this transaction, this exchange of worldly treasure for true treasure done by none other than Levi is such a powerful message to the people following Jesus that day. Because as they all jockeyed to get closer to him, looking, hoping for him to make their lives you know, a little better, a little fuller, a little lighter, a little richer, as they all sought a leg up from Jesus, what does he do? He takes them straight to Levi's office. Two words, follow me, and bang, the only bloke in town who thought he had no need of help instantly cashes it all in for him. And Levi doing this, the lesson for the crowd and for us is so clear. To find Jesus and to have him is to find and have true wealth. The type that moth and rust can never destroy. But friends, there is something that can block us from seeing the dynamic, life-changing reality of that truth. What is this other thing that can leave us ever seeing but not perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding? Well, that is addressed in part two of Levi's story. It begins in verse 15. Have another look at it. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Now, before we continue, let's join a few dots here. Levi is now empty tax booth and who he is now with has almost certainly gone viral. Tongues wagging on both sides of town, the right side of the tracks as well as the wrong side of the tracks. How do we know this? Because that night both sides of the tracks come together. The catalyst, Levi in a celebratory mood throws a party. And no one is left off that list, is are they? Levi's tax collector mates are all there, along with a whole bunch of other sinners, writes Mark. And friends, make no mistake, although it's true, we are all sinners. That word in this context means people who were willing to associate with tax collectors. Who were they? Well, let's just say men and women who made their living in similar dishonourable ways. Think red light district of Capernaum and you've got the vibe. So that's one section of the crowd. Along with them are the disciples and friends of theirs. In other words, your average Joe Blows who made an honest living. People, I guess you could say, similar to us at church today. And then to finish it off, the other people under Levi's roof is a group representing the religious set, i.e. the Pharisees. And friends, before we, you know, boo and hiss at them... That was not the response to those guys back then. The Pharisees were a group who loved Israel. They loved their nation. 
and sought to see it liberated from Rome through a revival of obedience to God. Now, for this passion and goal, they were highly respected. No one aspired to be a tax collector, but many aspired to be a Pharisee. Understanding this, if you were there that night, which side of the room do you think you would have been drawn to? Having grabbed your your drink at the punch bowl, which way do you think you would have then headed toward? Over there with the red light district crowd? Or with the more respectable group, with the Pharisees leading the conversation? Which part of the room do you now head for? Let me be the first one to put up my hand and admit that although I'd like to say I'd head straight for Levi's crowd, honestly, I'm not so sure if I would. But no matter, before you decide, you're saved by the bell, the dinner bell. And now things really get interesting. Because rather than the expected seating arrangements, you know, Jesus as the guest at the head of the table and then in order of respectability, instead of that, the, the setting seemed to be random to you. Aaron, the head rabbi, gets put next to Julie the harlot. Malachi the Pharisee alongside Joe the con man and on and on it goes down the line. What a scene it must have been. And there's Jesus at the head of the table smiling away at what he sees before him. Question is, are we smiling? Or are we now, you know, feeling a little more and more unsure and thinking to ourselves, Was Jesus' invitation of Levi just a little bit hasty? Not too well thought through. Because look at the upshot. Every low life and hanger on out of the woodwork and into the group now. Is this how dinners are going to be from now on in? Is that how you're now feeling? Uncomfortable? Unnerved? disturbed at Jesus' choice of Levi? What that now means moving forward for you? Well, if you are, there's some people there who are with you on this. Verse 16, have a look at it. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because you know Psalm Psalm 1, right? So clear. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. Disciples, why is Jesus doing the very thing the Holy Scriptures clearly warn against? And friends, it would seem, wouldn't it, the disciples don't have an answer for them. It would seem they are likewise stumped at Jesus' choice of Levi and what it has now led to. And so with the whispers just getting louder and louder, they finally reach Jesus' ears. Verse 17, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, 
It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, friends, how does this answer show Jesus' choice of Levi, followed by his decision to sit and eat with all his mates, not violating Psalm 1? Friends, this is how. Levi and his ilk are there to hear, learn, indeed soak in every word from Jesus, not the other way around. What is actually happening here is the complete reverse of Psalm 1. These tax collectors and sinners have been invited to sit at Jesus' table that they might see the dynamic change in their friend, that the light now in his eyes is also available to them, even them. This dinner isn't about Jesus being drawn away by the wicked, but the most wicked being drawn to Jesus, that they might go from their horrible darkness to his wonderful light. Brothers and sisters, this feast is a snapshot of how the final heavenly feast is going to look. A table not occupied by good, righteous folk, but by people who can recognise that they aren't righteous, that they aren't good. People like Levi... That's the dynamic that is happening around that table that night. See yourself as good, though, and you can't see it. Can't see Jesus has come to change dark hearts, the darkest hearts, to light. Can't see that by going to this doctor, his surgery, you can truly and only be made whole again. Because that's what this day is all about. Jesus' choice of Levi is all about. His love for the lost, the most lost, is the unmissable lesson of this day. How deep does Jesus' love go for them? Well, friends, his open arms to Levi and his friends that night will be stretched open wide to them again one day soon, won't it? And even in that setting, Jesus will look at the sinners in front of him and cry, Father, forgive. Friends, although we know this, sing about it. We'll commemorate it shortly at this communion table. The question before us this morning is this. Do we look at the people at Levi's table through Jesus' eyes or through the Pharisees' eyes? Before we answer that, think about this for a moment. What if a bunch of people from the wrong side of the tracks in our town joined and filled up the church this morning and then back out for morning tea? 
Which side of the room would you head for having grabbed your tea and biscuit? Friends, how we answer that goes a long way in telling us what we really think of Jesus' call of Levi. Goes a long way in telling us if we are the healthy ones Jesus is talking about in verse 17. Friends, how we respond to the sick today shines a light on how we've responded, if we've responded to the doctor ourselves. And that light reveals if we truly are a dynamic community determined to grow like Christ, impacting our neighbourhood for him. Our Heavenly Father, as we are challenged by this, as your word, your wonderful word, cuts through even bone and marrow and into our heart, Lord, we recognise that in our own strength, in our own moral compass, we could not be the type of people that you call us to be. And so, Father, we pray that as we take in this this wonderful and amazing passage of scripture help us first to recognize our need for you our ongoing need for you lest we be lost and father having reminded us of that through jesus death for us on the cross to make us well healthy righteous help us to have his heart and his mind and his love for others others who don't know him wherever they come from whatever they've done. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name and for his glory. Amen.